everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Fields and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We made it through. All slams are complete. 2022 is done. Carlos Alcaraz, Steve, I give you credit. At the year end, uh, you said top 10. You amended that prediction very quickly. Um, and then it was reiterated by our friend Renee Stubbs, who was a previous guest on our pod who also said, hey, there's a good chance he will wind up being number one. You had substance behind it. Not only is he, was Carlos obviously such a good tennis player, he had little points to defend over the summer. Um, hey, there's a reason you're in the Hall of Fame, Mr. Flink. Great call on Mr. Carlos Alcaraz. Well, thanks. I, I, I think, David, that my call was at the end of the year, number one, and I still think he will. He, he, you know, he's, he's arrived there now. Now he's going to have to stay out in front of Rude and the others. I don't see why he won't, because I think it's going to just take solid results from now to the end of the year to make sure that he concludes the year at the top, which is really the, the most important goal all the players have. They love to get there at any time during the year and hold it for as long as possible. But if you end the year, number one, that, that of course, uh, proves your supremacy for the year. Now, of course, we do have to add it. There obviously are a few quirks this year uh, with Wimbledon points not being counted. On the other hand, I don't think Novak would have played enough anyway, especially with not being allowed to play the U.S. Open, to have come to it. He needed to play those other slams to keep himself in contention, and he'd already kind of fulfilled all, all of his number one goals with a number of weeks at the top plus the seven years at the top. So I just felt this was coming and that Carlos was was worthy of the honor. And I think he will be worthy of concluding the year at the top and expect that he will. You know, it's funny when, when Carlos first came on the scene, everyone, you know, had the natural comparisons with Rafa, obviously because both from Mallorca, right? Mallorca, Spain, but you know, he doesn't really play like Rafa, but everyone also said, Hey, you know what? This guy's going to be uh, crazy good on clay. He's going to be really hard to beat. And you know, it's ironic. Here he is. He wins his first slam at a tournament a year ago where he really first blasted on the scene to everybody when he won that unbelievable match against Stefano Tsitsipas, 7-6 in the fifth. Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was a major pivotal step in his career. But we should add, David, that uh, Carlos kind of started his big run this spring in Miami. I mean, he was in the semis of Indian Wells, which was good showing, lost to Rafa in the win. But then he wins Miami over Rude. So I, I feel as if having watched him, I don't think there's a great disparity between his hardcore prowess and what he can do on clay. I think he's probably equally good on both. The question's going to become, can he make the transition to grass? I don't see why not. This year, didn't come in well-prepared, injured after the French. So he really didn't have enough. Could have used a tournament coming into Wimbledon, didn't get it and lost to Sinner. But in the years to come, I think uh, he'll get on board there as well. You know, we, we were following the, 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 the flight to the top with Carlos. Um, you know, he's number one right now. If you would have said, uh, if you would have told me Casper Ruud would make two uh, slam finals during this year, I don't think myself or many people would have, would have agreed with that statement. Shout out to Casper because he's had a tremendous year and he's number two in the world right now. Yeah, I mean, we, we knew what a great clay court player he was. Maybe it was a bit less of a surprise that he got to the Roland Garros final, and he had a pretty favorable draw. But this was a great achievement, and then he certainly acquitted himself well in the final, to be sure. It was, it was a very good performance in the final, pushing Carlos to four, and he, des and, and 
He's such an honorable uh, guy, such a credit to the game. There were two terrific sportsmen out there competing for the number one world ranking. We've never had anything like that, David. It, it put additional pressure on their shoulders because it's enough to be thinking about winning your first major, but when you know that it's also going to take you to number one. And in Rude's case, by the way, a little extra pressure because will he ever get there? Not necessarily. Carlos, you had, you had to feel in the back of his mind, he thought, if I don't get it now, I will... It's not going to take me that much longer. Maybe it happens later this year. Maybe it happens next year. In Root's case, he may not ever get to number one. But if this is, is the zenith for him, two Grand Slam finals and, and a number two ranking and more fine showings to come in the future, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. Were you surprised? Everyone knows about Carlos's ground game, obviously his quickness and what he does when, the when I mean, he's struggling to get balls. What he does with the ball is unbelievable in horrible positions on the court. But I want to ask you, were you surprised with how big and how great he served yesterday in big, big moments? He served tremendously yesterday. He did. Here's my, here's my take on that. You saw that he did a lot of serving in volleying. Uh, and, or he, he wanted to take advantage of Rude's court positioning and standing so far back. It's a little bit like Kyrgios playing Medvedev early in the summer. Sometimes you want to make them pay for, for being that far back behind the baseline to return. And I, Carlos did that well. And he's always hit that kick serve well in the ad court. But what I liked about the fourth set of this final was half of his aces, seven of the 14, in the fourth set where he was really going after the first serve. I hope, David, that we're going to see more and more of that in the future. Because if there was one weakness, oddly, in this tournament prior to the final, it was the serve. He got broken too many times. He didn't serve badly. It wasn't double folding his serve or anything like that. But he wasn't getting enough free points. But right. boy, that fourth set, he put on a stellar serving display, and I love seeing it because if you think about the last game of the match as an example, you're trying to serve out the match. You're two sets to one, <laughs> and you're serving for the match in the fourth set of, of the final. And you get to 30 love, miss an easy overhead, one he wouldn't miss in a 1,000 years, and it's a little tense as 30-15, comes right back with his second ace of the game, misses an easy forehand on the first match point, and comes back with a big service winner on, on the second match point. It just makes life so much easier, and he's so capable of it. We've seen him serve between 130 and 135, but I think it's going to start to happen more frequently, and when it does, it's going to make him an even more formidable player. <laughs> 100%. I feel bad for his opponents because you and yeah. I know this kid's <laughs> just getting better. He's getting yeah. better and better. Um, yeah. We'll tie it back to Carlos, but um, because we did our week one recap, there were some really good moments in the second week that I want to talk about with you. So let's start um, again. Great prediction by, by you, Steve. Kyrgios Medvedev, great, great match. You said not, we were both not saying with so much confidence, but you did say Nick and four. Um, and, and David, hold it a second. You were, we were, right, were right in there with me. You totally agreed. And so uh, don't, don't give me all the credit. We were in accord on that. And yeah, it just seemed that Nick was primed for it. I like the fact that he'd beaten him the previous time. He was so disciplined up to that point in the tournament. So it was a really good win. But then, of course, he got outplayed in five by Hatchinoff. I thought that's one of the best matches I've seen Hatchinoff put together because from beginning to end, he was focused. His forehand was fully under control. He served beautifully the whole match. And even though Nick came back at him in the second and fourth sets and kept extending the match, there's Hatchinoff with an early break in the fifth and he takes and he wins the match. I, I, I don't think Nick played that badly there. Yeah, he had a bad moment after losing. He smashes rackets. He did some things that were objectionable in this tournament. Uh, uh, however, 
in that match. I didn't think that it was his temperament that cost him the, the win. I thought he was outplayed and he fought hard to the end. And I'd like to see that more often with me. I'd like to believe that has been the case more this year. Same as the Wimbledon finally, where he fought so well against Novak yeah. and lost in a four set tie break. But Hatsunov really impressed me, David, in that match. He did. And, and I want to talk about that reaction Nick had after the match, because I know he's done this in the past and people get on him. Yeah, that reaction may have been a little bit similar to what he's done in other matches. But I think the reason he did that after that match was it was really meaningful. And he knew that he, he was playing so well up to that match. He knew that he blew it a golden opportunity for him to, to have a really, really good shot to win that tournament and to see that go away. That I think was his reaction. It wasn't just like a, a tough match yeah. against Rafa here and he, he gets yeah. upset about it. This was more than that. This was a golden opportunity for him to win his first slam. Um, and you heard in his press conference after he's realized how hard this is. He's like, Oh my God, now I can't, I have to do this all again and start over again in Australia. I think he's realizing the greatness of, you know, for example, the big three of how they maintain that level torn slam after slam after slam. It's really, really hard. And, and when you have an opportunity to do something and don't take advantage of it, boy, it's a killer. And he's, he's learning that. And I think that's why he had that reaction. I look at that reaction different than an isolated, dumb reaction after a single match. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. I don't disagree. I just think it's sad in a way that he didn't make this a priority in such a big commitment five years ago. He should have started this process sooner. And then maybe he would have had one or two by now. But it's not too late. It's just that he has to maintain that deep dedication and go after every major with the same hard preparation and full and all out commitment. So I'm glad that he, he now finally understands what it takes, because in prior years, some, he really didn't always give it his all. And he, and he no. was more than they pick off a rap at Wimbledon, as he did back in in 14 and, 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 and say to himself, oh, look at that. I beat Rafa Nadal and be satisfied with that as opposed to now where he really believes deep down he could win one. Now he would have had, had David, he still would have had a tough path, you yeah. know, path food. And then he would have had to have then uh, played Carlos in the finals. If he gets there, I, I have to say, I would have still liked Carlos's chances in that final. Uh, granted, if Nick has a great serving day, but I think physically maybe uh, Carlos would have been a little stronger than Nick and, it would have been a great fun. We were all speculating. It would have been something to see. It yeah, would have been would have something to it. see for sure. Would have loved it. Um, you know, I put something on, on Twitter and I want to hear your thoughts to it. And, and, and I want to stick to this talent alone. And yes, yeah, some people say focus is a talent. When, I, when I'm talking talent, I'm talking shot making only. And I got some good responses and, and a number of people responded. Talent alone. There's, there's Nick Kyrgios and there's Roger Federer. I think everybody else, and again, talent on being shot making. You see Roger, he's got every shot in the book. He makes it look so easy. Nick Kyrgios, every shot in the book, he makes it look so easy. I think those two are in a class by their own. And, and I said, who has more talent? And a lot of people responded. And at one point it was tied. And then they gave Roger, uh, it, was, it was a Twitter poll, right? And, they, and, and Roger wound up with the lead. But I think those two clearly, again, shot making alone have the most talent um, everybody else is kind of a little bit behind them. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's that, those those are tough questions to answer, and, and it, because Roger did it, sustained excellence for so long. Roger, I, I think I think Roger is a is a superior shot maker. He, you could argue that Nick's serve at its best is better, but not by much. 
I, I, I'm not even sure you wouldn't call that a tie because Federer's placement is supreme. And, and uh, I, I have to look at that and his ability to hold serve and never play a loose service game when he was in his prime. There's, there's been nobody like that. And then I watch, I think of Roger when his forehand was at its best, the inside out forehand and then the backhand, especially the improved backhand from 2017 on, I'd give him the edge. But it shows you how much respect people have. And they've seen so much of Nick recently that I think they're influenced by that. We haven't seen much of Roger the last right. year. So much of Nick at his best. But it's a great compliment to Nick that he would even be put into the same paragraph. Yeah. No, it, 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 it's fun to see. And like you said, I think all tennis fans hope he just sustains his effort because he's he, he had a great, great summer. And, and again, he draws the fans and, and people love to watch him when he's playing well. So um, let's hope we get another great year from Nick Kyrgios in 2023. I want to talk about Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner match. It was played very, very late. Steve, you were there and then you saw the whole thing. I give you credit just for that alone because it was so late. Um, this is a rivalry that if both stay healthy, it's going to be for the next 10 years. Oh, it will be. It will be. Sinner uh, in defeat. I don't think I've ever seen him play better than he did in that defeat against Carlos Alcaraz. And I, I wanted to get a good feel for the match. I knew it was going to be very late, potentially a very late ending. So I stayed out there for a set and a half, drove home, and then picked up the match in the third set to the end, and then went back on my DVR and watched that missing uh, sequence and, and I watched the part that I had missed from early in the second to early in the third best match of the tournament by far one of the great U.S. Open matches I've ever seen which will now grow in stature because it led to the Alcaraz eventual triumph and winning his first major maybe this thing would have faded a bit had he not won the tournament but we'll always remember that as a critical match much the way people remember Pete Sampras coming about, uh, back against Karecha from match point down in the quarterfinals in 96 before he went on to win that title. You, you think back to the match when that player was in danger. And Sinner, I have never seen him control his forehand better. The serve was good. The rallies were spectacular. Standards incredibly high. And how David Sinner ever got himself to two sets to one in match point, I'll never know. Because Carlos won the first set fairly routine, uh, fairly comfortably, and then had five set points in the second set. Four of them with uh, Sinner was serving five, six, love 40. And then, so there were four in that game, one in the tie break. One of them was a really easy forehand. He had lobbed over Sinner and set up a, a forehand pass with Sinner going the opposite direction, hit it in the net. So he could have so easily been two sets to love and Sinner gamely took the set. Then in the third set, Carlos surfed at six, five and got to deuce, but couldn't hold lost the tie break seven zip. So to, suddenly to find himself down two sets to one when he might have thought he should have been off the court or at the least, very least, up two sets to one. And then to come down from a, a breakdown, get even, lose his serve again and have Sinner serving for the match, up match point. And Carlos made a great decision, David. It was a second serve. Rather than take too big a chance, he went aggressive, cross-court back in, but plenty, plenty of margin. There was no way he was going to miss it. Hit it hard and forced an error from Sinner, and then eventually came back, won that set, and came from a breakdown in the fifth. Sinner serving 3-2, 40-15 in the fifth. Just a great tennis match all around, and you had to have some sympathy for Sinner. He couldn't have competed better. He couldn't have played better. Here's this guy who's beaten Carlos on the clay over the summer, preceded by beating him at Wimbledon on the center court. So would have been yet another win over Alcaraz. So I think it's a very important win psychologically for Carlos, but Sinner still believes he can beat him. So you're right. I think 
over the next, certainly over the next five to seven years, maybe longer, we've got a potentially great rivalry on our hands. I also want to talk about one of the Americans who made quite a splash these two weeks, had the best two weeks of his life. He said he was this close. He was this close to getting to the final. Francis Tiafo, he played Carlos Alcaraz in the semi. It was such a fun match. Um, if you want to go see a highlight point, first set at 5-6, both played a ridiculous point that Carlos won. Uh, Tiafo won the first set on a double fault by Carlos in a tiebreak. Carlos controlled the second and third set. He also controlled the early stages of the fourth set. He was up a break on Francis two different times in the fourth set. Um, Francis clawed his way back again, won a tiebreak. I think it was 8-0 in tiebreaks over the two weeks that Francis that Francis played. I believe that's a record. Um, this set, Carlos wins 6-3. Great effort from both players. Uh, Francis, I mean, what a two weeks for him. Well, no, he was spectacular. Obviously, he had the four set win over Rafa, which took a lot of it took a lot of composure. He wasn't sure he could beat him going in. It wasn't the best Rafa by any means. Uh, since he'd come back uh, from the abdominal problem, he had a Wimbledon. We, you know, he lost to Croach in Cincinnati, and he hadn't played well that well in any of his matches at the Open. Beat Gasquet easily in the third round, but Gasquet is is just the perfect foil for him every time. So. But still, good win for Francis, followed by beating Rublev again, as he had last year. So he, he gets to the uh, he gets into the semis. And that was a weird match, David. You described it. But in that first set tiebreak, 6-3 down, uh, Alcaraz back to 6-all, pulls a backhand wide, unforced, and then double faults for the second time in the tiebreak. So he kind of beat himself somewhat in that set, as, despite the fact that Francis played beautifully. And then those next two and a half sets... I mean, he, it looked for a while there from early in the third to early in the fourth that Francis was spent. There, was, there wasn't much movement. There just wasn't right. much. The dynamic qualities that we associate with him were not there in terms of the shot making and the, and the demeanor. And suddenly he breaks back with Carlos at two love and Carlos gets it right back for 3-1 yeah. and then Francis breaks back again. And then it was, that was a fight the rest of the way in the fourth and Francis actually had a match. I, I mean, uh, Carlos actually had a match point at 5-4 with TFO yeah. serving and, and TFO hit one off the net cord that hung a little bit. And Carlos had options, could have probably ripped it down the line for a winner, but tried a little drop shot cross court. And Francis answered with a redrop, perfect for a winner. And Great then point. Break, it looked like Carlos had him at the end of the tie break at five points to four, but he missed four hands on two of the next three points with pretty good openings. They weren't easy, but there were shots that he can make. He went for them. He missed the line by a few inches. So great effort from Tiafo, who also broke back early in the fifth. But the problem was Francis was getting about a third of his first serves in in the fifth set. And you can't get away with that against Carlos, who broke him three times and won at 6-3 in the fifth. That was a terrific match. And the nice part was that he stayed around for the interview, Tiafo, to speak to Patrick McInnes. So rarely did we get that. And he was very classy because he, cla he congratulated Alcaraz on playing a great match and then said, but I'm going to come back and win this tournament. The, the spunk was terrific, and the fact that he was willing to do the interview was. And then uh, Carlos still, as you commented to me at the time, was incredibly fresh for someone who's just come off a, another five-setter. I mean, it, you know, he's He doesn't come off sweat. You don't see him sweating. TFO's sweating, changes shirts, yeah. everything. Carl, I felt like he could Carlos could have played another three, four sets out he there. He looked that it's way. Remember, remember that it, it started 
with his fourth round match against Chilich down a break at the start of the fifth and he beats Chilich in five. Then the center match, five hours and 15 minutes. And then to come back and beat Tiafo in four hours and 19 minutes, just remarkable. And it was a very high quality. And I think that was nice for the crowd. They, and Michelle Obama was there sitting in the president's box, did not leave, stayed to the very end. And the crowd was really uh, electrified by this match. And they loved the showing the friend. But in the end, the better man won, to be sure. And I think that uh, I just was surprised that Francis somehow took it into a fifth after because he just looked like he was fading physically so, so significantly there for a while. Yeah, you know, we talked about Carlos serving very big, especially in that fourth set of the final. Um, and yeah, Tifo, he struggled in the fifth set against Alcaraz with his serve. But when you look at the two weeks, I've never seen Francis serve as big as he was serving. He was serving bullets and including we're going to we're going to talk about Rafa in a minute. But I mean, he was serving bullets against Rafa and all of his opponents going forward. I've never seen Francis serve that big. And that's going to serve him <laughs> very, very well going forward if he can get oh, a no. bunch of free points. Absolutely. Uh, no, never as consistently either. But what I like is there were times in the Rafa match and times against Carlos too, where he take a little off it and send it into the, you know, place it perfectly in the corner and he, he mixes it up well. And then the next thing you know, he hits three, 135, 136, 137 serves in a row and you don't even see it. And his coach seems to think that he can take it up a notch from there. We might see him break into the 140s. No, he's got a great serve. But I've also was impressed with how solid his ground game looks now. More, I've never seen it look better. So I want to see what he can do with this. He had a rough, a rough summer. He a lot of lost a lot of tight matches. Tough but matches in the summer. Tough, tough. Over, like over and over so again. Close. But when the big one came around, there he was at the open. You know, performing for the crowds as only as only he can. He's such a showman. But he mixed the showmanship with great grit and and applying his skills and competed so honorably and that uh, he'll take something away from this open and credit to to Wayne Ferreira who you and I both know from his playing yeah. days but Wayne yeah. has done a tremendous a job tremendous job with Francis oh no Wayne's got a great tennis mind he always did as a player and I think he will uh, he will keep uh, Carlos Carlos is lucky to have him in his corner I uh, Carlos Francis, Francis. Is Francis. Francis is lucky yeah. to have Wayne in his corner and I think that uh, I suspect that relationship will last for a very long time and and uh these next next year is going to tell us so much about tiafo because we've seen in the past david the tendency was he gets up for a big match like he did at wimbledon a year ago beats beats Sitsipas in the first round and then you know it does he doesn't necessarily sustain it this time he beats rafa beats rublev and loses in five to, to uh the eventual champion there, there seems to be a different attitude now and i feel like he has an opportunity to maybe establish himself. I mean, Taylor Fritz had established himself as the top American. That may change. Tiafo may now, I could see, you know, if he can keep this up, at least be right in Taylor's range, and maybe they have a nice little all-American rivalry going. But I expect Francis to make a push for the top 10. Yeah, yeah I, I do want to talk. I do want to talk about Rafa because – you know, here he is. He wins Australia. He wins the French Open. He's going through Wimbledon fine. He, he gets injured through um, when he plays Taylor. He gets through it. Unfortunately, he uh, he had to default, not compete in the semi. He would have played Nick, possibly Novak in the final. Both those matches, no guarantees at all. But Rafa, he didn't have the preparation that that he needed for, for New York. And 
I mean, you saw it, the one match in Cincy, the four matches in New York. I've never seen him miss so many neutral balls in those five matches. Um, it was pretty clear to me and, and everyone, I feel like, this was not the Rafa we all know these last, no, these last five it, matches. It wasn't. Listen, he, uh, we saw, I mean, he lost his first set in his opening round match. Then he was down 6-2, 4-2 against Benini, who collapsed. Yep. Then he beats Gasquet earlier, but he, and in, with all due respect to Richard, who's had a really terrific career, Rafa could beat him blindfolded. It's just one of those. Uh, yeah, like 18 and 0 against him, right? 18 yeah, 18 and 0, a nightmare matchup for Gasquet. And he, you can see, like that whole first set, he either would game point or break point, I think, in five of the six games and came away with nothing. And that's, he just doesn't believe he can do it. So that one was misleading. And then along comes Francis to eliminate Rafa. And now the Francis one was interesting, Steve, because we've seen Rafa not necessarily play so great in the first week, but once the second week of a slam, and I think you and I yeah. hinted to this in our week one recap, in the second week, he's consistently raised his level over the course of his career. And the second week was that first match versus Francis. And, and I don't want to take any credit away from Francis. He played great and he deserved to win that match. But Rafa did not raise his level in that match. And he needed to, as any Grand Slam champion would need to, to win a Grand Slam. Well, yeah, I agree. I agree, essentially. I would just say, I think he raised his level from where it had been, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. And we just, just think back to that match, David. How many times did you see him step around and hit inside out forehands? He, he wasn't giving himself the opportunities. He complained that he couldn't push Francis back in the rallies enough. And that was partially that Francis's depth and pace were so good that he, and he, and Francis did just did not play many loose games. He lost one no. set and he, and he, and he let himself down in the last game of the set by making a couple of errors and a double fault. But that was probably the only lapse in four sets. And then Rafa couldn't, Rafa had that early chance in the four set three, one up. And then it all slipped away from there. You thought when he got to 3-1, that's the most emotive that Rafa was in the match because I think he thought he might be able to turn it around. But no, things were never completely right physically. As how I, And he's had too many things go wrong this year between the rib injury and Indian Wells, the foot, recurring foot injury, the abdominal. It's just too many things to come back from. And the fact that he was able to return in Australia and win was almost miraculous. The fact that he was able to win Roland Garros after having – needing injections every day and having his preparation badly curtailed prior to Roland Garros, remarkable. And that he got to the semis of Wimbledon without playing that great either. No, it's a, it's a credit to him and his professionalism and his enduring greatness, but it caught up to him here. He was not happy, David. It was not the best press comments I've heard him give. It was nothing no. nasty or bitter about it, but he didn't give Francis much credit. I thought he could have given Francis more credit, but you could see he was so disappointed in himself uh because he demands so much of himself yeah he has a certain standard yeah. that he demands and he, he yeah just, he wasn't there this this, no, this past five matches and i don't think we're gonna frankly you know he had a chance to maybe get back to number one himself if things had unfolded differently with rude and and uh and carlos and it would have been backing into the number one ranking well not entirely because he won two majors this year mm. but i think he's not going to be thinking about making a push now for the year end. No, I don't think he cares about that. He's slams. No, he, I think at this he's stage, gonna, he's slams only. Yeah. It's, and so I think he'll play sparingly. Uh, we, I think we might see him pull out of the labor cup. Uh, uh, it's hard to know, but 
and only maybe a tournament or two be, so that he can be sure that he's ready to go in Australia because he did play enough over the course of the year uh, that I think he'll feel like the, the priority has to be to get back to Australia healthy and try to win a third title there. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. And I've talked about this with you so many times. I remember when we had Mary Carrillo on a while back, we talked about it with her, you know, going forward, it's going to be interesting to see if Carlos and maybe one or two other players can distance themselves from the pack a little bit as what the big three kind of done, kind of had done for so long. We laugh and we joke about it. You know, if you're the fourth best in the world at whatever industry you do, it's so good. There shouldn't be a big gap between the top three and number four, number five. And with Novak and Rafa and Fed, there was such this huge gap between the big three and then four or five. Going forward, I don't, I don't know, one, if we'll ever see that type of gap again. But going forward, I don't think there's going to be that huge gap. And, and it'll be interesting to see if maybe Carlos gets to four or five before the next one in his area gets to two or three, or maybe a couple people get to four. It's going to be interesting to see how this goes going forward. I think that I think David, they're all going to be relegated. I don't. I'd be surprised. I mean, yes, the Sinner rivalry is potentially there. I don't know whether Sinner is going to be able to be as consistent uh, as Carlos is and be in there constantly playing him in finals. But he's going to he's going to have his moments and he's going to win his share of majors, I believe. But I think what we're going to be looking at five to seven years down the road is currently by then with Novak being retired by at that time and, and Rafa gone that. Of this generation, I think that he's going to be pulling away already by, say, 2027, 28. He's going to have a bunch. I don't, I don't, I, I would love it if we had a couple of guys challenge him in the new big three, but I don't see it. I think he's going to be so clearly the preeminent player that the likes of Medvedev and Zarev or anybody else on the horizon right now, Sinner, I don't think they can stay with him consistently. That's my view right now. You know, do you feel uh, now with, with someone like Carlos coming on, do you think Sasha Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas, do you think they're feeling a little extra pressure now? They have not won a slam yet. And, yeah, they've had to deal with the big three. But the last year or two, they've had some chances with the big three, especially Roger hasn't played in a while. There's been some opportunities, and they haven't capitalized. Do you think they feel a little extra pressure now? Because – it's not going to get much easier. You've seen, I mean, we've seen, forget the big three right now. You've seen a crop of really good players. It's not going to be easy to win a slam in any, on any service. There's a, there's too many really, really good players out there. Now, I, I don't know if they're losing sleep about it at night, but I do think they are concerned to be sure. And, and I, I look at Zarev, I think believes with his physicality and his serve, and his backhand somehow I think he and and I believe too that he'll have he'll have his moments he'll have he'll get a couple of majors and he was so close at the 2020 U.S. Open should have beaten team up two sets later serve for the match in the fifth so Zarev Zarev had such a golden opportunity to win that title and he's made some decent showing since but I think when he comes back from his injury you know he'll he'll be in there Sitsipas I think is much more worried uh, because Sitsipas to lose here in the first round, he had a good summer, final of Cincinnati, should have been right in the thick of it again, played a terrible first-round match. He may be worried because he's getting picked off by people he doesn't think he should lose to. Uh, I think there's more inner belief in Zarev. Medvedev, 
he's he's something of an enigma too. I don't I don't know. He's already got one. He's already got one. I I agree, but I'm talking about adding adding to the list, adding to the open that he won a year ago. He I just don't know how confident he is. And he took a big psychological blow by not beating Rafa in the Australian final this year. Some ways he's never been the same player since. With his serve and his and his temperament when he's right, yeah, there should be times both especially at U.S. Open and Australian Open, where he'll contend, and maybe again at Wimbledon. I think he'll eventually he'll adapt in the future in the, on the grass. I don't know if he's ever going to be a great clay court player, but I I don't know. I I I don't know how many more we're going to see from him, and I, I and I just feel like I'm actually more encouraged long term about Sinner than I am about Medvedev. It's interesting, you know, and and we've talked about this prior before as well. You know, Grigor Dimitrov, who we both really really like super player, great individual, great person. You know, he's never won a slam. It's going to be interesting to see if one of the people that we just mentioned, maybe in that category, we hope not. Hey, I hope Grigor can, Grigor can still win a slam. It's obviously getting more difficult every single year, but um, of this new group of players, uh, it's going to be very, very tough. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if someone, you know, in four, five, six years, Steve, we're talking about someone that we think is so, so good hasn't still won one it's that difficult right now no it could that could be the case and let's not forget that for the next couple of years i mean i fully expect novak to remain in the thick of things for at least two more years rafa i'm not as confident about only because i'm more worried about his body holding up it's not his age because he's endure his enduring greatness we saw it we saw it in with two majors this year i just worry about the body may force him to quit by the end of next year as a possibility of that and but Novak, I expect around two or three pretty darn good years coming up from him. And, and that's the exciting part, by the way, is that Novak, we could, we could see quite a rivalry develop between Novak and Carlos. Uh, they could play some spectacular matches against each other in the, in the next, especially in the next two years. And they already did, right, in the clay court season. They a did. Few months back. They did. Oh, and Carlos beat him, you know, in a third set tiebreak. It was one of the best played matches of the year. And Novak, was he at his very best? No, but he was still at a very high level and Carlos beat him. And, and, but the tennis was so good. It just made me think about what, what it might be like in the future if they would have a, if they could develop a rivalry. Well, that's a wrap for this, this, this last slam of the year, Steve, obviously we're going to be continuing to do these. Um, We'll have some themes that we'll talk about and we'll still be covering the fall. Obviously. I don't know. There's, it hasn't come from his mouth yet, but there's been talk about a setback with Roger's knee again, maybe. So I don't know if he's going to be playing labor cup. That yeah, said some... Rafa, that said Rafa may, may or may not. If Roger's not there, I think a lot of it was let's all play with Roger, right? You had Andy Murray, Novak, Rafa playing with Roger. I don't know how that's going to pan out in the next couple of weeks. No, I mean, there was, the reports are something about water on the knee with Roger. That's a little concerning. And then Rafa, because of all that he went through here and becoming a father and all this stuff that's swirling around him, I, it may be hard for him to fulfill the commitment. I would think that uh, Roger will do any, everything in his power to try to play, say, one doubles match. Just to, you know, it, it's not. Don't it's they not have to play a singles match in Labor's Cup? I think they do. I think they have to play singles and doubles. Maybe they'll change that rule around for yeah, Roger. I, but. I, yeah, I don't know if they're going to. I don't know if they're going to impose that rule. But ideally, he would play. He would play the one doubles and, and at least right. be seen. And Novak, for sure, I'm sure he'll go. I'm sure he'll go. He made the commitment, and he's going to probably be needed more than ever now, given yeah. what's going on. With two other guys. 
not necessarily for victory, just they need him to, uh, to enhance the event. So I'm, I'm sure he'll be there. But then the question becomes with Federer, you know, does he play Basel? Is he capable of playing singles in Basel? Where does this lead in terms of 2023? Because I fully expect that next year will be it for him. It's just a question of how well he fares in Australia and Wimbledon, because my guess is he doesn't play Roland Garros unless he really just wants some kind of a wave goodbye in Paris. But I think he would want to save himself for Wimbledon. And then uh, I don't even necessarily think we'll see him at the U.S. Open. This is all speculation, but that's how I see it right now. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, Steve, you covered a lot of Opens. Um, a ton of energy at this year's Open, obviously. You rate, I'm not going to ask you to rate it of all the Opens that you've seen, but on a spectrum of, of good to very good, uh, this was got to be closer to very good these past two weeks. Oh, yeah. Uh, no question. It's, it's, it's high on the very good list because we had a lot of great matches the first week and then the home stretch was terrific. And the fact that the Al- Alcaraz was the central figure and so gripping and the fact that we would see three five setters with him and especially the Sinner Classic, followed by a, a really uh, impressive match with Tiafo and then winning the title in four. He, he kept it. He really kept it alive in so many ways. And yeah, I'd rate this open quite high. So much fun, Steve. It was great that you were out there. Thanks again for providing your insight. I was glad you were able to to uh, get back out there. The crowds were definitely electric. This 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 was a great, great two weeks. And uh Looking forward to to continuing our talks, and we'll uh, we're not going anywhere. Thanks so much. Thank you, David.